Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Good morning. Now, here's today's How's message. everyone this morning? We're here. It's the week before Christmas. Go figure. I feel like it's still July, right? So when I think of Christmas, there are a couple things that come to my mind. Um, before I share mine, how about we yell out some things that come to your mind when you think of Christmas? Cook cookies. Good one. You're the first one that said that. Anyone else? Shopping. Shopping. <laughs> Nightmare. Anyone else? Presents. Decorating. Jesus. Anyone think of Jesus? <laughs> this, is, this group is a rough one here. No one said Jesus. Well, I will tell you, when I think of Christmas, I definitely think of Jesus first. Um, but then I do think of family time. And I laugh hysterically when I say it because anybody who knows what Christmas entails with family kind of giggles, right? It's like an LOL, like, oh my goodness, family time. It could be very positive. It could be very negative. Kids are always sick on Christmas. I feel like there's a nightmare. Someone's crying. There's extended family. There's dogs eating food. There's always something when we get together for the holidays. I also think of um, Christmas movies, of course. Who doesn't love a good Hallmark Christmas movie, right? Can I get an amen, someone? We are huge Hallmark Christmas movie fans. And the reason that we love them so much is they're seven to nine, that's it. And at 8.55, the two that have been toying with love the whole time are finally in love. They kiss and everyone lives happily ever after. And this beautiful, I mean, who doesn't love a Hallmark movie, right? I also love Elf. It's probably my favorite Christmas movie of all time. I might be able to recite way too many lines more than I'm proud to say. And of course, Christmas carols. In the first service, we had the kids up here before they were dismissed singing Christmas carols. I love when children sing. Christmas carols in particular. Watching children sing, the minute their mouths open, I just start crying every time. They could, I don't, they're not even saying the right words half the time, right? And there are four types of kids. On Friday, we went to the preschool, did their uh, Christmas program, and I have gone through many many preschool Christmas programs. There are four types of kid. There's the kid who stands there perfectly dressed in their most beautiful dress, and they're singing so perfectly, and they know every word. There's the kid rolling, literally rolling down, right? There's the kid that's there crying for their mom like this, like literally like crying, and the mom is like, you know, like yelling at them because they just want to get the picture. And then there's, of course, the kid who just sings their heart out. It's aggressive, right? There's an aggressive singing, and the words are never right, but it's so precious to watch them worshiping. This morning, we are going to continue our series in the carols of Christmas, and we are going to look in particular at the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We're going to look at the theological side and the practical side as we go through the words of this Christmas carol. And I encourage you, we've sang it this morning, we're going to sing it at the end. I encourage you to listen to the words as I speak through them. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It was written by Charles Wesley in 1739. Now, Charles, we might not know much about him, but he is the brother of the infamous John Wesley. John Wesley is a very famous theologian. He started the Methodist Church. Um, this is his brother. He wrote over 6,000, probably more, but that was the last number I saw, 6,000 
hymns. His brother John said that his hymns were the best theological book in existence. This is coming from John, the John Wesley. And Charles Wesley wrote a poem on the way to church one Christmas morning. And as he was walking in London, the bells for church were going, you know, ringing. And he was inspired to write this poem. And it's what we know today as Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the beauty in the Advent season. I thank you that we are able to come together and worship you. This morning, I ask you that every person that is sitting in these seats will have a touch of the Holy Spirit in their life, that you will speak to us in a new and intimate way as we study your word. It's in your name we pray, amen. We're gonna look at the passage that was read earlier. We're gonna read it again. It is Luke 2. It will be on the screen if you need it. It's Luke 2, 13 through 20. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and that the angel, what had been said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So here's a little background. Mary and Joseph, they have to leave Nazareth in Galilee and they're on their way to Bethlehem in Judea because the Romans who occupy Israel are gonna be taking a census. They get there, there's no place to stay. There's no hotels, there's no room. They find a stable. They stay and the lowest of low with the animals. And in that stable is where Mary gives first to her, birth to her firstborn son. She wraps him in cloths and lays him in the manger. And anyone who knows anything about stables or anything, if you've ever visited Vermont, which we do a lot, you know when you are passing a farm in a stable. And Mary delivered her firstborn baby in a stable. He laid in not the manger that we see so often, the beautifully manger with the hay perfect, in a feeding trough that animals ate out of. Now, meanwhile, these shepherds, they're in the fields, they're guarding their flocks. Shepherds are a very low status, we know. They are, their sole purpose is with their staff is to protect the sheep. They are protecting their sheep. They are guarding off lions, tigers, bears, you name it. That is their sole purpose. And suddenly, an angel appears to the shepherds, and Scripture tells us that the radiance, the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And guess what? They were terrified. Could you imagine? I'd be terrified too. They're minding their own business, and suddenly, an angel appears to them 
and the glory of the Lord shone upon them. And the angel tells them, wait, don't be afraid. I bring you good news, great joy for all the people. The Savior, the Messiah has been born in Bethlehem. And you'll know who he is because he's going to be in a, in a stall with animals and he's going to have rags wrapped around him. And he'll be in that manger lying there with his parents. And as these shepherds were beginning to process this, you see, the shepherds knew their theology. And they knew the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 7, 14, that states, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The shepherds were realizing that this prophecy was coming to life. It was coming to fruition. And this brings us to our focus of scripture this morning, Luke 2, 13 and 14. Suddenly, an angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Did you hear that? A vast host, a multitude of angels appeared. You see, these heavenly beings, they couldn't just sit back by one angel, went and told the message of the Savior's birth, that the long-awaited king was born. No, the sky filled with angels glorifying God, glorifying the birth of the Savior. Can you imagine can you feel that excitement? And when we look at our Christmas carol of Hark the Herald Angels Sing this morning, we see that excitement. Charles Wesley starts off in verse 1, stanza 1, with the proclamation of Christ. Hark, the herald angels sing. Hark means to listen, to pay close attention to these heavenly beings Glory to the newborn king. The newborn king, he's here, he's born. Like, yay, woo! Like, I could just imagine the scene. Peace on earth and mercy mild. He's bringing peace, not condemnation, but mercy. God and sinners reconciled. Jesus Christ's birth makes it possible for us to be reconciled with God. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19 said, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. The first four lines Charles Wesley is showing us the angel's excitement at the birth. But these next four lines in verse one, they're, they're all about us. They're a challenge to us. Joyful, all ye nations rise. Our response to the message of the angel is to be joyful in joyous awe and praise of our Savior's birth. In scripture, when someone comes in the presence of God, every person responds differently. You will see people laying flat on their face. 
You will see people praying, kneeling, standing, weeping, the, the endless possibilities of being in the presence of God. In Joshua 5:15, it says, the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. You see, Wesley challenges us to rise, to rise in humble adoration. And when we rise, we are joining the triumph of the sky. We are joining the heavenly beings in worship, joining our hearts and our voices, praising the king. Okay, we can't just sit down. Come on, get up. We need to stand up and praise our king. Join the heavenly beings in worshiping and praising our king. Jesus, we praise you. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, more. Jesus, you can sit. This is a glimmer. This is a glimmer of what happened when the angels, the vast multitude of angels came and were praising God. And as I was reflecting on times of joy in my life, where I've really seen the joy of the Lord in my life, I could think of many times, but there are certain ones that really stand out more than others. All four of my children's decision to be baptized, where they chose that they are going to put their old self behind and live a transformed life for their Jesus, man, that is joy. That is the joy of the Lord. Amen. The next one, watching the next generation of our family, of our lineage being born. I mean, I'm going to tell you something. There is nothing like that. There is nothing like knowing that there is the next generation of children being born to worship their heavenly father. That is joy. We're kind of intense in our family. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of, we don't cry all day long, I promise you. But we are a passionate family. And I will never, as long as I live, forget the day that we got to go and hold our hours-old new granddaughter. And I thought, as I held this little baby, that I would be weeping uncontrollably. But I couldn't weep. I couldn't weep because the joy of the Lord was so heavily impressed upon me that I had such joy, joy that I could never even comprehend. As I looked at her face, and said, you are going to be a warrior for the kingdom of God. Oof, that is joy. That is joy. What did you say? I didn't hear it. Like her mother. Like her mother. Like her mother, for sure. And as each of my adult children have grown, and, and we are going in a lot of different directions, I said to Rob, we were away a couple weeks ago, and I said, Rob, each one of us is in a different state right now. It's kind of crazy when you have these children that you raise and you know everything about. And at one point, everyone was either in a different state or a different country. But as life is taking everyone in different directions and we are all over the place, knowing that we will spend eternity because of the decision for a transformed life, the lineage of Christ in our life, that we will get to be in eternity together forever worshiping God. That is joy. 
And as I'm processing yesterday afternoon, I had another moment that God really gave me this glimmer of, of joy on a really practical level. We had to go do a return at the UPS store. Oh my goodness. Why would anyone go to the UPS store the week before Christmas? Rob went online and waited and I went to go get us some coffee. We knew we'd be in for a long one. And I'm at Dunkin' Donuts and um, there's a young man helping me. And there was, I knew him. I couldn't tell where I knew him from. He looked much different from when I knew him. I could tell that much. But there was something in his voice. And I said, what's your name? And he looked at me like I was crazy, you know. And uh, he said his name. And I was like, oh, do you remember me? And he goes, of course I remember you. Are you Mrs. Parker? He was a student of mine for many years. I had him when he was three in preschool. I walked with him through elementary school, and then we ended up going to the middle school together. So I've had this young man for many, many years. He is a man now. Uh, last he left me, he was a young boy. But he had a really, really hard life. There was a lot of stuff in his life. I think I saw this young man five or six times a day, every day that I was in a building with him. And he is a transformed young man. And talk about the joy of the Lord as I saw him and was all these emotions of being able to know that God put me in his life to walk with him through this. That I was a part of his story, of his family story, was overwhelming. That's when I started crying. Talk about awkwardness. You're getting your coffee. You're like, this is the best coffee ever. You don't even know what to say because you look like a fool crying in public. There's so many people there. But as I walked out with my tears down my face, I heard him say to his boss, Mrs. Parker was instrumental in my life. That is the joy of the Lord. What a privilege to be able to walk with people through life. The second verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing is about the deity of Christ. Christ by highest heaven adored. Wesley is asking us to consider Whose birth is being announced? It's the Messiah. Woohoo! Like, I can just imagine that, right? Woohoo! Like, it's the Messiah's birth. This is not just any birth, this is the King's birth. The Messiah is to be worshiped by heaven's greatest creation, the angels. Christ, the everlasting Lord. This new child is an everlasting Lord. Not an earthly king, that's temporary, but a king, an eternal Lord of the universe. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Centuries of people waiting. Centuries. And at the right time, God's appointed time, Jesus, the Messiah, came into the world from a virgin in an amazing, crazy, weird way. Matthew 1, verse 22 through 23 says, All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Wesley is telling us that Christ left heaven to become flesh. Let that soak in. Left heaven to become flesh. The fullness of the deity in a bodily form. Like, what? Why? Why would you do that? Hail, the incarnate deity. Hail means to cheer, to salute 
to greet, to esteem, hail him as God in flesh, fully God, but fully man. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Pleased as man to man, with man to dwell, as God-man, he is fully inhabiting our experience, living among us, living as one of us. Jesus, our Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us, a savior to the people, a rescuer from our sin and death. Stanza three is all about the accomplishment of what Christ's accomplishment. It's all about Jesus, this third verse. Hail, the heaven-born prince of peace. To hail once again, to acclaim, to cheer him on as the prince of peace. Prince of peace goes back to the scripture in Isaiah verses nine, uh, chapter nine, verse six. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Peace. It's not always easy to have peace, is it? This time of year, I talked to someone after the first service and we had a discussion about peace. That we, have, we keep hearing peace, peace, Christmas season, but it's not always easy. Peace has been something I have struggled with tremendously and most particularly in my life as a parent. When my children were small, it was hard to have peace. It was chaotic. It was crazy. There were a lot of little ones. They were those ones rolling. I mean, they rolled. Why do they roll, you know? But it was so chaotic. And I thought I grasped peace. And every time I thought it, a new season would come. And then it brings you to adulthood. And those who have gone before me, I have a whole new respect for you. Because peace is hard to grasp in your adult children. And more than ever, I am learning to have the Prince of Peace in my life. Ironically enough, during the first service, as I was saying, I need peace with my adult children. <laughs> I didn't turn off the notifications for Telegram is what we use for, to communicate overseas. And it was popping up. What's the Netflix password? Did you change it? What'd you get for Christmas for this one? And I am cracking up inside because, oh my goodness, on the other side of the world and I'm still not at peace because I changed the Netflix password. Go figure. But more than ever, I need to cling to Jesus as my Prince of Peace. Like I said, as we all go in different directions, everyone's in a different place in life. As we sent our daughter back overseas with her two small, very little babies, a six-week-old back in a scary country where there's no health care, that would cause this mom's heart to have a lot of anxiety. I'm going to be very honest with you. And there's not much peace in it. But when I 
relinquish my control and give it to my Prince of Peace. That's where I need to be. It's not only where I need to be, it's where I want to be. But if I tell you it is a daily surrenderance, I'd be lying because it's an hourly surrenderance. It's when you don't hear from them for a couple days. It's when you try to talk and the Wi-Fi goes out. Or when you get a text, Netflix, I don't care about. But when you get a text, emergency, call me. And then you try to call and the Wi-Fi goes out. And let's not forget, it's 10 hours difference. I need my Prince of Peace more than ever in this stage of my life. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. This goes back to the prophecy in Malachi 4.2, one of my favorite verses. But for you who fear the name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves out to pasture. He is light and life to all. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot extinguish the light. I saw this great picture analogy when I was studying. I really felt called to look into the light. And it was a picture of a dark room, and it was a match. And the match was lit right way back when, when we used to have to light matches before all this like plug-in stuff happened. But you would light a match, and on the reflection of the wall, you would see the match stick but you would not see the flame because the light has no shadow. The darkness cannot cause a shadow on the light. 1 John 1, 5 says, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is the light and there is no darkness in him at all. Mild he lays his glory by. Jesus laid aside his glory to provide salvation through his death. See, he was born with a purpose. You're going to die to give salvation to us. An undeserving people, right? An undeserving people. He was born that no that man no more may die. Remove the curse of sin that was brought onto us from Adam way back when. Born to raise the sons of earth. Raised so that we can have eternal life. And born to give him second birth. So that we can be born again. A new transformed life as sons and daughters of God. Let me repeat that. A transformed life. He was born to die for us. Born to give us a second birth that we can walk. We can walk with confidence. Confidence. Knowing that he is our heavenly father. There are many more stanzas to (laughs) this scripture But um, this morning, we're just going to focus on these three, kind of just to, this is what it really our scripture is. And we're going to bring it back right now, and we're going to look at the angels. We want to know the significance, right, 
Hark the herald angels sing. We want to know the significance that the angels play. And we see angels all throughout scripture. I have heard from many of you who have told me stories about angels. We see angels throughout scripture. We hear of them all the time. I have a personal angel story that I had in a tough season of my life where I believe an angel of God appeared to me in a time of need, the most time of my life that I needed. But this morning, we see the angels four times throughout the Christmas narrative. And each time, each time they say, don't be afraid. And the reason they say that, I truly believe, as we go back to the scripture, is that the glorious shining of the Lord is upon them. And it's so big and so vast that it's scary. It's terrifying. Can you even imagine that? It's terrifying. An angel came to Zechariah, we see, in Luke 1, 11 through 20. And basically, the angel tells Zechariah, listen, your wife, Elizabeth, she's 88 years old now, what? Is going to have a child, and his name is going to be John, and he's going to prepare the way for Jesus. Okay, I guess, right? Like, wow, okay, <laughs> Sure. Next, an angel appears to Mary. We see that in Luke 1, 28 through 38. The angel tells Mary, you're going to conceive a child. Oh yeah, you're 12 years old. You're going to conceive a child by the Holy Spirit and he's going to be the son of the most high. Right? That's like a how in the world, right? Okay. But Mary, remember scripture? She held all those things in her heart. How beautiful is that? Held all those things close to her heart. And then we have an angel who appears to Joseph in Matthew 1, 20 through 23 and told him, okay, you're going to take Mary as your wife. Yep, she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I mean, come on, right? And she's going to have a baby and he's going to be Emmanuel, God with us. That's what you're going to name him. Okay, I mean, seriously? <laughs> like, all right, angels. And then, of course, to our shepherds. But see, the significance here that when the angel came to the shepherds, the other angels were so excited that they couldn't just sit there and watch this one angel tell the story, that the vast multitude of angels came and told the message to the shepherds. Remember those lowly shepherds whose one job was to protect their sheep. But the vast multitude came to the angels. And like the angels, we are called to worship. Angels are messengers. They invite us into holiness. Angels prepare the way for us. Every time we see in scripture, the angels are preparing the way, paving the way. I mean, my angel story, the angel was preparing me for what was ahead in my life. And angels glorify God. Their sole purpose is to glorify God, nothing else. And angels teach us how to worship. You see, they worship day and night. They worship God of the universe day and night. That's their one job is worshiping, preparing, this, all this encompasses. And Charles Wesley 
and hark the herald angels sing, as you really dive into the words that this Christmas carol gives us, encapsulates the essence of Christmas with the message of hope, joy, praise, right? Praising with joyful hearts. As we celebrate with the angels, God's best creation is the angels. As we celebrate with them, the birth of Jesus Christ. So this Christmas season, I want to challenge you. I want to, some lessons that we have learned from the angels that we can see in scripture and from this Christmas carol this morning. Number one, we're going to proclaim through worship. Praising with our hearts and voices. When I had you stand up before, that was a special intimate moment that we got to praise Jesus together with our hearts, with our voices, with humble adoration. When the children sang this morning, <laughs> they were praising Jesus. It was beautiful. It was magnificent. On Friday when the preschool, they didn't know what they were saying. They were dressed as donkeys, but they were praising Jesus with the bells. They were glorifying God. Number two, we proclaim by sharing our faith. His birth removed our sins. His birth removed our sins and we are redeemed. Mankind is redeemed and salvation can now be ours. See, his birth redeemed us for his death, right? So Christmas, the birth of Christ, the preparation for his death that we will celebrate in a few short months. And most importantly, we proclaim by the way we live out our lives. You see, if we're not fully living for Jesus, are we proclaiming him? Plant family, I want to live a life that proclaims Jesus in the way I act, in the way I speak, in the way I think as I do, when I'm home, when I'm here, when I'm in anywhere, there, Dunkin' Donuts, I want to proclaim Jesus just like the angels did in the way I live. So are we all in? Yeah. All in, plant family? I'm going to show you this tree. This tree is very many years old. I don't even know how old it is. It's probably, I think I got it 12 years ago. It's a dinky looking tree. It's got this ornament that is actually taped on, if you could see, because I don't know why, it's just taped on. I think it makes the tree even better. Um, it is a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. The original ornament was red, but this says uh, 2003, Wyckoff Christian Preschool in kindergarten, in kindergarten, Jesus Loves You. This was Luke's ornament the year he was in preschool. I think I have 10 of these hanging on my Christmas tree, all different colors, from all the years of Christmas programs that I have been at. <laughs> And the story of the Charlie Brown Christmas tree is as this. Charlie Brown brings this Christmas tree to his friends. And as he's there, he's bringing it for the play. They are doing a, a pageant, a Christmas pageant. And as he's there, mean old Lucy starts making fun of him. She is like ripping him apart. Ha ha ha, 
you know, she's like the mean girl. Like Charlie Brown Christmas is like so identical to now, just way back when. And she's the mean girl. And she's like, duh, Charlie Brown, you don't do anything right. You can't even get a beautiful Christmas tree for the Christmas pageant. And Charlie Brown is kind of grumpy. He's a grumpy guy at some point. He's angry and he's, what's the true meaning of Christmas? And he's pondering this and he doesn't get it. And really the sweetest little boy Linus comes with his little dirty blanket. First of all, that is disgusting. It's on every floor. And he's coming and he's sucking his thumb and he's walking and he goes, Charlie Brown, the true meaning of Christmas. And the stage is set and the lights go on him and the curtain drops. And he recites our scripture from this morning from Luke 2. And Charlie Brown now gets it. Oh, it's not about the tree. It's not about the commercialism. It's not about the materialism. It's about the Savior's birth, right? That, that's, what, that's what Charlie Brown Christmas is about. Like how beautiful that this used to play on TV that everyone could see. I read that it's not being played this year for the first time, which is a tragedy to be very honest with you because it's such a beautiful story. So Charlie Brown, as he's pondering this, and he realizes that this has nothing to do with the true meaning of Christmas, he sees Snoopy's doghouse, and Snoopy's doghouse is like beautiful, decked out. He's frustrated, like, it's not about that. And he leaves all cranky, and then his friends see this tree, and they start to grasp what the true meaning of Christmas is. You see, they now know the passage that Linus spoke to them, that it's about Jesus' birth. So they take this terrible-looking tree, and all of a sudden, it's decorated beautifully, and then it's big. It suddenly gets big. I don't know how it gets big, but it's a big tree, and it's full, and branches grew, and it's, it's beautiful. And Charlie Brown comes back, and he's angry. What, what's going on here? And then he sees that his friends now have grasped that it's about the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior, not about the tree. It's about the birth of the Savior. And as in closing, Charlie Brown and his friends join the angels in humble adoration, singing our Christmas carol this morning, which I have a clip from because how can you not watch it? Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.